Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. UPR listeners are curious about everything. We're always wanting to learn something fascinating, so that's why we're avid readers. Periodically, we come together on Access Utah to build a UPR book list, and we're going to do that again today. We're asking, what are you reading? We're looking for everything from fiction to nonfiction to classic literature to young adult and children's books. Might even be a textbook or manual that you can recommend. You can email your list to us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. And uh, I'll be uh, speaking with Elaine Thatcher, uh, who is a UPR member and avid reader. Elaine, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's nice to be here again. So you've got your book list in front of you. We'll, I do. We'll hear about some of those interesting books. Uh, we'll be joined by several Utah booksellers from Weller Bookworks, Back and Beyond Books, and the King's English Bookshop. And phone lines are open for you, 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can also join us on Twitter. Uh, so uh, we'll share your list on air, and then we'll uh, post our joint UPR book list to our website uh, in just an hour or so, upr.org. So what are you reading? So, Elaine, what are you reading? Oh, you know what? I can't believe that I waited this long to read Dorothy Sayers. Um, I am reading the first of her uh, Lord Peter Whimsey books. It's called Whose Body? Mm-hmm. And honestly, it is witty and so... It is just so funny, and I'm just enjoying it tremendously. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have waited a long time to try to, if that's been on your list, like it has been for mine, on mine for a long, long time, I highly recommend it. It's just delightful. Did you see the television series before you? I did not. Jumped in? Okay. I didn't. That's one of those I think it's been, been made yes, into it has, television. Yeah. Sometimes it's better not to go see the, <laughs> the, the end of the TV or movie before I'm you. I'm anxious now it. to see how they portray him. I want to see yeah. it at some point, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, because he's a pretty interesting character. So we, we, you know, we hear Dorothy Sayers, hear Lord Peter Whimsey. What, what is it about the, the books that well, so captivates you? Um, they're set in the early twentieth century, and uh, Lord Peter Whimsey is a, you know, he's a peer, but he's, um, his hobby is, uh, is crime, and he has a, a detective friend that he works with, but his. His whole style, he's just very, very witty about, you know, the, the things he says about the, the cases and so forth are just hilarious. And um, it's just, and, you know, he's a little eccentric, so as, mm. as all peers should be, I think. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah, he's pretty funny. It helps. Yeah. What else do you have on your list? Well, you know, I also, uh, another one that was on my, long, my list for a very long time was Elizabeth Peters' series, uh, the Amelia Peabody Mysteries, which are archaeology-based in Egypt primarily, I guess. Anyway, I read her first one called Crocodile on the Sandbank. And again, another whimsical approach to mystery and um, delightful character. So, you know, I haven't always been a huge mystery fan, but these, these two books are just great. Mm. Tell us again the title and author. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Peters, Elizabeth Peters, uh, Crocodile on the Sandbank. Mm-hmm. And it's the first of the Amelia Peabody mysteries. Yeah. Uh, I'll mention one that I've uh, been reading, but interested in, um, uh, The Life of Martin Luther. In fact, this, call, uh, this book's called Martin Luther, A Life. I, I was interested in reading, you know, you, you, you hear the bullet points. Yes. Uh, Edict of Worms and, and, and Wittenberg Castle and, you know, all, all that stuff. Uh, but I wanted to, to know a little more. So I searched around. There, you know, there are lots of biographies of Martin Luther. I found one, a kind of a brief one, 150 pages, just one of the facts. This is uh, uh, James Nestingen is his is his name. Martin Luther, a life, 
And uh, periodically, uh, Nestingen, who I believe is a Lutheran theologian, will get a little bogged down, for my taste, in into uh, Luther's th- theology. theology uh-huh. Although that's interesting. So I'll you know maybe skip, uh, read a little faster over those passages. But it's, it's fascinating. Luther's is, is fascinating life and, of course, pivotal at the beginning of the Reformation. Yeah. What, what else do you have on your list? Well, you know, I, um, uh, I listen to audiobooks when I drive, and there are certain times of the year when I'm driving a lot. And um, I happened to come across one called The Unicorn Variations by a guy named Roger Zelazny. And uh, I don't know anything about him, but oh my goodness, again, now this was more fantasy-based, whimsical fantasy. Um, You can tell I've sort of been into a funny Mm -hmm. mode here a little bit, but um, I definitely want to read more of his because they were just so creative and um, just uh, unexpected. They Mm. were delightful. Um, But on the other hand, I also read... um, Henry James's uh, Portrait of a Lady, which is kind of a downer. <laughs> I was just going to say, I equate Henry James with, you know, uh, downer. Yeah. You put it well. Yeah, yeah. Very, very well done. It's he's, beautiful. He's and it, I mean, it, it's about a young woman. Uh, he's really exploring the idea of independent women in this book. And, um, you know, she, it kind of leaves you in the end sort of, um, not sure what she's going to do next, mm-hmm. but um, it's it's an interesting book about this young woman, young American woman in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Hardy is another author that I yes. you know uh, mm-hmm. probably should read more of, but I just get too depressed. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me that I want to stay away from that. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, how do you decide what to, what you're going to read next? What do you, do you oh, mood you know, you're in? I have I have my list. Of things that, you know, and, uh, you know, there was a funny thing on Facebook the other day about I was born with a reading list I could never catch up with, you know, and that's true. I I have this long list and I have a whole bunch of books in my basement that I haven't read yet. But um, just, a, you know, it's, it just depends on how I'm feeling at the time. Mm. And um, I think, you know, I got real interested in these um, Craig Johnson mysteries again. I'm in a mystery mode right now, too. The ones that the Longmire... Uh, television series is based on and they're wonderful about you know a rural rural sheriff in um, Wyoming Mm -hmm. northern Wyoming by the way how how do you read is that changing do you you, more over on your Kindle I'm reading a lot on my Kindle Uh, it's lighter weight I I miss the ability to flip back and forth as easily as I generally do in a in a paper book Mm -hmm. Um, but I like the light weight of it and um, convenience i can just throw it in my purse of course you can do that with a paperback too but um but yeah i've been reading a lot on my kindle plus i've found um some ways to share books on my kindle with other friends who are kindle readers yeah all i've got is the laptop i don't have any of the smaller smaller stuff so (laughs) it's slower for me but but i've been reading this martin luther book you know purchased it through google and i've been reading it on the laptop yeah yeah it's okay i'm getting a little more used to it yeah it's not as satisfying in some ways and i read recently um somebody i wish i could remember who had done some research saying that um the reading of a book on a screen is not it doesn't stay with you as well Hmm. as you don't you don't uh, engage as deeply as you do with one on paper. Yeah, uh, that might be the booksellers, you know. Yeah, um, could could yeah, be. Yeah, but I don't know. Anyway, yeah. it it feels that way sometimes to me. What else do you have in your list? 
Oh, gosh. I um, also uh, read The the Moat in God's Eye, which is uh, Larry Niven's classic science fiction uh, novel. It's it, He in, ended up making it a series. I don't think he intended it to be a series at first, but it's, uh, it's about a first contact situation. And um, uh, the mutual distrust and... Uh, you know, between races on different planets and so forth. It's it's an interesting book. That does I, sound I, I enjoyed yeah. it, yeah. Tell us the, the title again. The Moat in God's Eye. All right. Very good. We have Elaine Thatcher with us. We're talking books. We're asking you what you're reading, and you can reach us at 1-800-826-1495. We're compiling a UPR book list. You can find that later today on upr.org. So we've got Elaine's list. Uh, I've got a few books on that list, and uh, we uh, are joined next by uh, Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks in Salt Lake City. Catherine, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, coming up on Saturday, I'm reading Independent Bookstore Day. A wonderful event. Uh, it's uh, rather like Record Store Day, if your listeners have encountered that. It's a celebration that will happen across the nation at nearly 400 independent bookstores, where, of course, since we're all independent, we'll do it in our own ways, but we'll celebrate independent bookstores, readers, and the positions that we all have together in the community. There will be day-long events here at Weller's. Um, and like I said, other stores throughout the city will be having events, too, including King's English. All right. Well, yeah, support That's your great. local bookstore. Yes, yes. certainly. Uh, Elaine and I have been kind of talking about uh, electronic forms, but we uh, sometimes we do that, but uh, we want to support our, our local booksellers. Uh, so I, what's... Will, I, will, I will interject that you can support your local booksellers by um, buying e-books from your local booksellers. Okay. Many of us now right. can vend e-books via Kobo on the Kobo platform, and those books are readable on any device except for Kindles, because Amazon <laughs> keeps those locked down pretty much. Oh, yes. oh, I'm so sorry. I have a but, Kindle. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's, that's how that is. But okay. any other devices, including your PCs or your phones, you can buy e-books from us. That's oh, good okay. to know. That's good to know. All right. So what's, uh, what's on your list? Oh, I've got some great books on my list this time. Um, first off is a book by Eric Larson. He's the guy that did In the Garden of Beasts. His latest book is called Dead Wake, The Last Crossing of the Lusitania. And for years, decades now, since um, he wrote In the Garden of Beasts, everybody has been waiting for the book that would be as good as In the Garden of Beasts. And it's, it's not quite there. Or, I'm sorry, Devil in the White City is what I'm talking about. Devil in the White City is the book that was set at the World's Fair in Chicago with the, uh, one of the first serial killers that was acknowledged in America. Dead Wake is nearly as gripping as that. These are nonfiction books, but he writes in a narrative nonfiction form, which makes it eminently readable and fascinating because he has such a good way of working historical facts. And... Um, Pieces about people that really bring history to life. The, the passenger list on the Lusitania was impressive and fascinating. Everybody from a famous bookseller named Charles, Charles Laureate, who lost some remarkable books to the sea when the Lusitania was sunk, to um, a pioneering female architect. It's just an incredible book. He, he weaves between the U-boat that eventually sinks the Lusitania, the Lusitania, um, Washington, D.C., where Woodrow Wilson is president, to 
uh, Great Britain and Great Britain's involvement in the war, and he doesn't shy away from some of the controversy about whether the Lusitania was carrying arms and whether it was sunk, allowed to be sunk deliberately by the English. Um, so it's provocative as well wow. as being just a wonderful read. That sounds great. That, that does sound interesting. Uh, tell us again the, the title and author. Dead Wake by Eric Larson. All right. What, what's next on the list? Next on the list is a book I just finished by Anne Hillerman called Rock with Wings. If Hillerman sounds familiar, it's because her father is Tony mm-hmm. Hillerman. And last year, Anne came out with her first mystery, which was a mystery set in Navajo country with her father's characters. And most of us booksellers who loved Hillerman so very much regarded that book with a bit of caution. We wanted to like it, but that's a huge set of shoes to stand step Mm -hmm. into. And I'm so happy to say she did it wonderfully. That book was terrific. It was called Spider Woman's Daughter. Her brand new one that comes out tomorrow, Rock with Wings, furthers her explorations in Navajo country. She is now calling these Leap Horn Chi and Manuelito novels because she has um, pushed uh, the character that her father created, um, Manuelito, the uh, female detective who married Jim Chi, He's pushed her into the source of a, to a major character. So Bernie is a big part of these books. Um, the one criticism Anne had about her father's writing when I talked with her about it was that there weren't a lot of female characters, and they, they were there, but they weren't as big a part of the stories as they could be. She grew up with Leaphorn and Chi. She honors their presence. She evokes them convincingly, and they are still big characters in the book. The Navajo Nation and the beautiful landscape, the culture is all there. These are great books. If you love mysteries, if you love Hillerman's writing, I highly recommend Rock with Wings. That sounds fascinating. And and is this uh, is this unprecedented for a son or daughter to take over from the from the the father's series? I, I'm, I'm I've been racking my brain trying to think of another instance, and I can't think of it. I've not even thought of that. It seems like surely there must be something somewhere. And, of course, other people do pick up series, um, most notably for Utah, Brandon Sanderson picked up the Wheel of Time series after its author died. But, of course, he was not related to Robert Jordan. Jordan's widow picked him out of a pool of writers. Um, I don't know. I think that's more common is an unrelated author uh, Mm -hmm. maybe you know pick up a, a series but yeah to have the daughter that's great yeah that, that that's it, it kind of adds something in, it, in my it mind. really does yeah. she said she grew up with them she talked about those characters around the breakfast table with her parents as as her dad was developing them and writing them so they're almost a part of her family too mm-hmm. the, the only i don't know you know father son or daughter that i off the top of my head i can think of is, is dumas Perrin and, and ah. Feast, you know, but but they but Dumas Feast did not take over the, you know, <laughs> he didn't do Count of Monte Cristo Jr., you know, so. No, no, and, you know, Paige Stegner is a wonderful writer, yes. um, Wallace Stegner's son, but mm-hmm. Paige didn't really, Paige does his own writing. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, that, that sounds great. What's, what's next on the list? A great book of uh, short stories called Barefoot Dogs. It's by an author named Antonio Ruiz Camacho. This is his first book. Um, it's a, a brief book. It's very short, but it is impressive. What a debut. 
he does a wonderful job of evoking characters both in Mexico City and in various places around the United States. Um, in the what has become the diaspora of largely wealthy people fleeing crime in Mexico City, the horrific kidnappings of the 90s, uh, in just brief stories that give snapshots of people's lives, you learn so much about them and what they're doing. And eventually, you learn as you read this book that they, all of these stories are woven together with some common threads. And it's just beautiful reading. It is such a pleasure. It's one of those books you pick up and you don't want to put down because it is so well done. The characters are great. The detail is good. The pacing of each story is perfect. And the way you discover at the end that they link together is just dynamite. Mm. Tell us the, the title again. Barefoot Dogs by mm. Antonio Ruiz Camacho. Yeah, that does sound great. That sounds terrific. Oh, uh, it is. It is. What's next on your list? Next on my list is something completely different. It's called Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen by Mary Norris. Uh-huh. Um, this is my geeky book on the list. <laughs> Mary Norris is the copy editor for The New Yorker magazine, and um, she is the rare copy editor that is beloved by the people who copy edit her. <laughs> John McPhee is just over the moon about her. It's just amazing, the fan club she has. And she has such a lovely approach to language and grammar and expressing oneself in writing. It's not preachy. It's not overly didactic. She works in great examples from everything, from, say, the Honeymooners or the Simpsons to David Foster Wallace and Henry James. I mean, she talks about things that bedevil us all, such as commas, dangling participles, when do you use that or which. But she does it in a way that's so entertaining. Um, this is a uh, good comp would be eat shoots and leaves, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. it's, it's only it's American. You know, one of the things about eat shoots and leaves is that was British usage. This is thoroughly American usage, but it's that same humorous, down to earth type of writing. And after reading her, I can see why all of these prominent authors just adore her. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick that up. I, I love grammar. I love. Uh, I, love... <laughs> I do too, and I have yeah. to say, one of the things that just caught me about her right away is that I am old school with my comma usage. I still use a comma, what's called a serial or an Oxford comma. It's the comma you use in a list before. You bet. And... I use it too. And she supports the use of the serial comma, so of course I adore her. But <laughs> it turns out I also really like her writing. Well, I'm going to have to pick that one up. Tell us again the, the title. It is called, cleverly, it's called Between You and Me. Hmm. And the subtitle is Confessions of a Comma Queen. It's from Mary Norris. All right. Oh, comma queen. When you you first, yeah. When you first yeah. said that, I was thinking like, as in Comic Con. Right. Comma, oh, no. com, comic <laughs> queen. Sorry, yeah. comma queen. Yeah. <laughs> like, like drama queen. Yes. Great. That sounds. That's a great one. What What else on your list? Um, I talked about this a little bit last year, but now that it's in paper, I'm going to mention it again because it was so well noted in hardcover, but people had a hard time getting it since it was in it from a smaller press. 
It's a novel called Euphoria by Lily King. I have it, read that. Mm. Oh, tell me what you thought. Isn't it I, marvelous? It was fascinating, yes. It's based on, or, you know, loosely based on um, Margaret Mead. Yeah. Just fascinating. And, and really, you know, from my perspective as a folklorist who does uh, ethnographic work, incredible to me the things that they did that would be considered so wrong now on the part of a field worker. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is something. It's a very narrow part of Margaret Mead's life. It's when she first meets Gregory Bateson, who is another notable intellectual of the mid-20th century. But it is she and Gregory Bateson in Samoa mm-hmm. as they encounter one, each other when she is married to a different woman. Man. They've all gone, man, I'm sorry, <laughs> woo. Um, they've all gone down there to study uh, various cultures. And it's so funny the way uh, everybody needs their society to be their big break. And they kind of deal these uh, these tribes out like playing cards in a way. You take mm-hmm. this, I'll take this. But the dynamics between the three, this um, unfortunate love triangle, is really quite gripping. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the ethnographic uh, details are also really interesting. I think for anybody who does field work, they should read this book just to, you know, because there are issues brought up in that. And um, and the, the sort of... Uh, commodification of these tribes, as you say, you know, it's, it, you know, furthering academic careers. And, you know, the, our ethic has changed a lot since then. It has. And, and thank mm-hmm. heavens that was, it was certainly what they did was a product of their time, but um, it's good that we've moved on from that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. So this is Euphoria. Yes. By Lily King. Yeah. It sounds fascinating. Do you, do you have uh, another book? I, oh, my goodness, I have so many. Yeah. How about if I talk about a kid's book? I never okay. get to my kid's great. books. Um, there's a great hardcover picture book that's just come out from a woman named Sophie Hen, and it's called Wear Bear. Picture books can be difficult to talk about on the radio, but this is adorable. The drawings are very... Um, very old-fashioned. They're set against matte backgrounds. They're very simple. There's not a lot of busyness on the page. And it's about a little bear cub who lives with a little boy. He's a real bear cub, though. So over time, he grows and grows and grows, and he begins to act more like a bear, but in a very gentle way, because this is really a book that one reads aloud to kids here, maybe from two to five. And they want to remain good friends, but they know that the bear has to go live somewhere and be a bear. So it's about their efforts to find a place for the bear. And, um, of course, it ends happily, and they stay friends forever. But it is charming. It's quiet and sweet. It's a great bedtime book. Or just one of those books that you want to read when you talk about friendship or wind down because it's just been too stimulating of a day. Hmm. What's the title again? Wear Bear hmm. by 
Sophie Hen. As in W-H-E-R-E, right? Where? Yes, exactly. Where Bear. Yeah. Where Bear. Where Bear. Uh-huh. All right. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, oh, well, thank you. That's a, that's a great list. We'll have that along with the rest of our books up on our website later today, upr.org. Catherine Weller from Weller Bookworks. Thank you so much. Thanks. It was good to talk to hear from you. Oh, thank you. And uh, coming up, we'll be uh, speaking with Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab, and later in the program, Sue Fleming from the King's English uh, Bookstore. Uh, you are welcome to uh, give us your list. We'd love to know what you're reading. Do we know you're likely an avid reader? It's a high percentage, big overlap. If you have a Venn diagram of you pair <laughs> listeners and avid readers, there's a lot of overlap. We have Elaine Thatcher with us uh, in studio, and we're talking with some booksellers. And we want to know what you're reading. 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. Or you can join us at upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. Let me get this from Gary in Logan, who has emailed us. Gary says, I've read some great kitsch books that I found from NPR over the past year. The first, comedian Amy Poehler's autobiography, Yes, Please, which was absolutely hilarious, while simultaneously deep and thought-provoking. So, Yes, Please, from Amy Poehler. And knowing her... um, work, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, I, I, I'm interested in reading the book. Yeah. The second book from Gary is called Let's Go Crazy. It tells the story of Prince and the making of his infamous Purple Rain album. Both books held great insights into how these great acts came to be. So that sounds interesting. Prince oh, yeah. is a fascinating character. So, uh-huh. Yeah, very. Uh, yeah. I'm interested to read that If you book. know what to call him. You know? yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> the book formerly known of Let's Go Crazy. Yeah. And the most recent book I read, says Gary, was George Hodgman's memoir, Bettyville, documenting a gay man in his 50s who left his editor job at Vanity Fair in a Manhattan apartment to return to his rural hometown in Missouri to care for his mother during the last years of her life. I won't spoil the story, but I highly suggest this book, and I feel like I've gained many great lessons from reading it. So that's Bettyville by George Hodgman. So thanks for those three, Gary and Logan. Appreciate that. You can join us. Love to know what you're reading at 1-800-826-1495. It's toll-free anywhere you are. And uh, you can join us. Uh, give us your list on our uh, email at upraxis at gmail.com. So I believe up next uh, we have Andy Andy Nettle with us. Andy Nettle, back of Beyond Books in Moab. Andy, welcome back to the program. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Elaine. Hi. Thanks for joining us. So Thank let's, you. Uh, l- let me give another plug for Independent Bookstore Day. That's on Saturday. I don't know if you guys are doing uh, something for that. Well, every day we celebrate Independent Bookstore <laughs> okay. Day down here. All right. That's Very good. good. Very good. Well said. What's first on your list? Strangely enough, Tom and Elaine, I'm picking a bestseller. I <laughs> tend not to... Uh, go to bestsellers too often, figuring that that's the last book I need to be recommending in the store. But this so captivated me. It's Eric Larson's brand new release, Dead Wake, The Last Crossing of the Lucania. Oh, yes. Well, we just had that recommended to us by Catherine Weller. So that's, ah, yeah, that's well, a consensus building here. <laughs> great, but, great. Um, I didn't hear Catherine's uh, blurb on the book, but my take dealt with primarily, A, the personalities that Eric Larson brings out within the book, not only the captain of the Lusitania, but also the uh, captain of the German submarine, but also the myriad of of wonderful and lively personalities of people who are traveling on the Lusitania, and many of, uh, of whom we've never heard of, but he really brings them to life 
Secondly, I found, even though we, I think, all know the story of the Lusitania, even leading up to the launching of the torpedo, I was I was hoping beyond hope that it wasn't going to happen, <laughs> even though history tells us otherwise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, such a tragic story and uh, such an important part of World War I history and uh, leading up to our involvement in the war. But uh, Eric Larson, better known for author of The Devil in the White City and In the Garden of Beasts, has done a, a masterful job of research in Dead Wake, The Last Crossing of the Lusitania. Yeah, that does sound fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm having a uh, sort of a mischievous thought, a, a negative thought here. I'm, I'm hoping James Cameron doesn't get a hold of this one. <laughs> uh, be, because the, as I was watching Titanic... <laughs> which was, you know, seemed like it was 50 hours long. Um, I was thinking there's a lot of good stories here that he's just glossing over, and he, he's adding a, a gunfight on the ship that, you know, and, and I guess that's his target. Anyway, that's a, that's a passing thought. I, I just hope that we just we stay with the book on this one. Very good. What's, your, what's next on your list? I've got a pair of books that uh, are timed perfectly. Back of Beyond Books, I'm proud to say, is 25 years old this year. Congratulations. And All right. The store itself, the inception of the store, if I may, uh, came about after Edward Abbey's passing in 1989. There was a memorial to Ed in May of that year outside of Arches National Park. And from that memorial, a group of like-minded uh, folks decided that Moab needed a bookstore in, in February of 1990, back of Beyond Open. And, and we've always been known as the, the Abbey store, so to speak. And so this publishing year, there are two uh, fun Abbey books, one by Professor David Gessner, All the Wild, That Remains, Edward Abbey, Wallace Stegner, and the American West. Oh, that's a fascinating book. We did an interview with him on Access Utah here, so I'd love that Yeah, I heard part of that. Yes. And and Gessner has has taken these two literary icons, generations apart, but connected uh, in the classroom. Stegner, of course, uh, taught Abbey for a semester up at Stanford. But as different as you could be in terms of uh, literary figures, and yet he finds all these parallels throughout the West on how they influenced each other and how their writings have influenced untold thousands of people, uh, even through today. And it's a masterful look at, at the effect of two great literary artists. Secondly, a young gentleman named Sean Prentice has just published a book through University of New Mexico Press titled Finding Abbey, The Search for Edward Abbey and His Hidden Desert Grave. (laughs) And you don't need to worry about him digging up any graves. That's a metaphor for uh, Sean trying to find out literally who who Abbey was. There's a young kid who, who someone recommended reading Desert Solitaire, and that singular book so captivated him that he spent the next year traveling the West, talking to many, many of Edward Abbey's closest friends and confidants, and really trying to discover who the man was uh, beyond just his writings. And I think he's done a, a fine job. And he, in my mind, takes the next generation into learning about Edward Abbey and his influence. And in this day and age, I think we need more and more people to understand who Ed was and to certainly read his writings, but maybe to act upon some of the thoughts of Edward Abbey. So two Abbey books. So uh, tell us again the titles. 
Finding Abbey, the search for Edward Abbey and his hidden desert grave, and David Gessner, All the Wild That Remains, Edward Abbey, Wallace Stegner, and the American West. Mm, I'm waiting for somebody to write a book about Edward Abbey and uh, his approach to women. Because uh, as a woman reader, I found him uh, certainly in the Monkey Wrench Gang. You know, he was not—his female characters were very, very— two-dimensional. Hmm. And, and many have labeled Ed as being sexist. Um, well, and I, I was good friends with Jack Leffler, and his wife, you know, Jack was one of the men that buried Abby, and right. uh, um, and uh, his wife, Catherine, did not like Ed at all. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, hmm. I, I can't speak for Clark Abby, uh, Ed's widow, but she's a good friend, and knowing Clark as I do, I don't think she would take much uh, sexism from him. No, yeah, that's what I've heard. And I, I, I've talked to uh, a number of people who say that was, in a large part, his writing persona rather than his uh, real persona. So I never met the man, so I can't, can't speak for him. Hmm. <laughs> what's, uh, what's next on the list? Another nonfiction title. I will have one fictional title next. But David Roberts, one of our favorite authors has come out with a sequel of sorts to In Search of the Old Ones, which was published just shy of 20 years ago. And David has followed that up with The Lost World of the Old Ones, Discoveries in the Ancient Southwest. So much has been uh, researched and written about in the last 20 years on the ancestral Puebloans, of course, we used to call uh, the ancients the Anasazi. And we've become much more enlightened in terms of who these people were, what happened to them, that David felt it very appropriate to do a follow-up on In Search of the Old Ones. He also has the singular advantage of being a climber. And while he's very, very uh, cognizant of not treading upon ruins, his climbing abilities, along with climber Greg Child, has allowed him to access ruins and areas of ruins that not many people can. And so he's gone into uh, the areas where probably few, if any, have ever seen and has been able to observe and document uh, some of these really inaccessible places. And he writes in a very fun, light narrative style, which makes it extremely readable. And you don't know you're being educated, and yet you'll finish this book and know a heck of a lot about the Ancestral Puebloans. That's David Roberts, The Last World of the Old Ones, Discoveries in the Ancient Southwest. That's another one I can recommend as well. We did a, a program with David Roberts here on, on Axis Utah. It, it was interesting to me. He, he compares and contrasts the world of mountain climbing and, and that mindset to to his search for the Ancestral Puebloans. He, hmm. he says he, he preferred that mountain climbing was kind of his young man's game and and he he prefers and wants to do the rest of his life on on this uh you know the the search for the ancestral Puebloans. very interesting yeah, he's uh, become somewhat obsessed by it mm-hmm. and it's fun to to have him in the store and in the region cause he's uh, he speaks very well and if you ever have a chance to see him please do what's next on the list last but not least i do have a fictional title and this is one that i just stumbled upon but i love biblio mysteries what bookseller wouldn't? <laughs> and Bradford Morrow, who's a new writer to me, although he's he's published four or five different books, has written a book called The Forgers. 
And this, the protagonist is a, a forger who tries to stay, obviously, out of the limelight and takes his time, releases his forgeries to the biblio world very slowly but surely. And soon it becomes apparent that there's a second forger who is perhaps mimicking what our protagonist is doing and leads to his downfall by writing a confession note in the first forger's hand. <laughs> and so you've, you've got kind of a whodunit within the, the world of forgeries, and it's really becoming very, very twisted. I haven't quite finished the book. I, I hope to tonight. And if any of you like the uh, John Dunning mysteries, who really brought Biblio mysteries to light, I highly recommend The Forgers by Bradford Morrow. It's published by the Mysterious Press. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah, <laughs> and you can find it at uh, Back of Beyond Books in uh, Moab. That's a great list. We'll have that up on our website along with uh, the rest of our list uh, later today. Upr.org. Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab has joined us. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, and you're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Let's, let's take a break. We've been so fascinated by this, we haven't uh, taken a break yet. So let's take a short break. And when we come back, we will have more from Elaine's list. We have Elaine Thatcher with us. And we'll hear from Sue Fleming from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. When Ricardo Semler decided to reorganize his company, he started by asking, Why do we want everyone to be here at the same time? Why do we want to know how many hours a week people work? So he decided he didn't need to know. Please don't tell us all of this. We just want to make sure that you are self-directed. Some called it anarchy. He called it radical self-organization. That story next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Monday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. UPR listeners are company presidents, board members, partners, and other top executives. Your company can talk directly to these decision makers with program sponsorship. For more information, call Terry Guy at Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We have another 10 minutes left in the program. We're wanting to know what you are reading. We're compiling a Utah Public Radio book list, as we periodically do. This will appear on our website, upr.org, later today. We've heard some uh, fascinating uh, new books from uh, Catherine Weller at Weller Bookworks and from Andy Nettle of Back Beyond Books in Moab. Coming up, we'll be talking with Sue Fleming with the King's English uh, Bookshop. And we have uh, we do have Sue on the line. Sue Fleming, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. And we have with us uh, Lane Thatcher in the studio. Yep. Avid Happy reader, UPR here. member, who's our regular guest when we do this. Uh, so, uh, Sue Fleming, I, I think uh, reading on your website, you have some activities coming up on Saturday, which is Independent Bookstore Day. What, what do you got going on? Oh, gosh, we are going to have so many fun things happening. The chow truck is going to be here to greet people. We're going to have some prizes and contests, and it's just going to be a great day. Mm. Great. And we've been talking, of course, with booksellers. I should put in a a plug for our libraries as well. That's a great source of uh, I know we have some uh, great listeners at uh, Logan Library, so I'll put a shout-out to to them. Uh, So uh, what's, what's on your list, Sue? 
Well, I have five that I'd like to share quickly with you this morning, just because it's hard to choose (laughs) between one and ten. The first one I'd like to tell you about is uh, Dead Wake by Eric Larson. (laughs) And um, Eric Larson is, for your listeners, I'm sure many are familiar with several of his previous books, In the Garden of Beasts and uh, Devil in the White City. I think this one is his absolute best. As we're coming up on the anniversary of the sinking of Lusitania on May 7th, um, you're going to see a lot of books about that. This particular one will offer an opportunity to board the Lusitania, really. You're with Captain Turner on the Lusitania. You're with Captain Schweiger on the U-boat, and it's just an amazing experience. It's, um, it's something that, that feels way back in history, but it's important to recall that 1,200 passengers died and um, and it was just a series of really interesting events that even made that occur. So highly recommend that. I would be surprised if it doesn't win, um, you know, looking at Pulitzers for this year. It's just fabulous. And, it, Second, and uh, I'll pause you right there. It's, it's won the award for this program because uh, that's this is the only unanimous uh, selection, uh, Catherine. Oh, Miller. wonderful. And Andy Nettle also mentioned that book. So, yeah, we'll have to run out and get that one. What's next, oh, what's next on your list? Okay. Antoine Lorraine has come out with another just sweetheart of a book. It's called The Red Notebook. It takes place in Paris. A woman has had her purse snatched and um, has been left pretty bereft. And a, uh, the next day, um, a book owner, a bookstore owner, finds the purse in a um, trash bin, uh, is trying to decide whether to take it to the police or not, decides to hang on to it. And within that purse is a red notebook, and it's filled with thoughts, things that this woman has jotted down, and as he reads through it, he, he realizes this is a person he'd really like to get to know, but there's no name, no phone number, so it becomes a um, kind of a mystery of how to find this uh, person and what happens. It's just a great little story, under 200 pages, and if it were Christmas time, we'd say this is a stocking stuffer. It's just really <laughs> a sweet book. Yeah, that sounds charming. That's this. Uh, so I just wanted to reemphasize that's the Red Notebook by Antoine Lorraine. Yes. Okay, you. great. The third one is H is for Hawk by Helen MacDonald. This one um, is a memoir. Um, MacDonald, from the time she was seven years old, wanted to become a falconer. Her father dies when she's an adult. It's a very devastating experience for her. And so uh, she turns to um, becoming a falconer, and she acquires the biggest, baddest hawk of the sky, and it's this goshawk. And she really mimics what T.H. White did when he wrote his memoir, um, The Goshawk. And it's a very uh, thrilling, disturbing, uh, spiritual, mind-bending kind of experience. And it did win the Costa Biography Award winner uh, for last year. It's won several awards. So that's really interesting for people who are interested in nature, um, uh, love a good memoir that that I would highly recommend. So that's H is for Hawk okay, by great. Helen McDonald. I'll check them out. I, I love biographies, so uh-huh. definitely check that out. Okay, and then two finally uh, two novels. One, The Given World by Marian Palama, and this particular book um, starts in 1968 with a 13-year-old Riley whose brother goes missing in Vietnam. And from that point forward, she and her family are trying to deal with the loss of this young man, never really certain whether he's dead or he's just become absorbed into Vietnam, whatever happens. But she 
at age 16, she leaves their family farm in Montana and sets out on a quest, uh, taking her through San Francisco, through the HIV dilemma, becomes a trucker, um, encounters many interesting people, and it eventually ends up in Saigon. So this is one of those that, given the history of Vietnam, but also for families who lose someone but never really can come to term with acknowledging that death, it's really a, a very sensitive book. So The Given World by Marion Palaya. Hmm, sounds interesting. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then the last one, I have to preface this with that I just bought seven copies of this book, one for each of my sisters for Mother's Day and one for three friends who are celebrating birthdays. It's just fabulous. This is called Martin, Martin by Brian Doyle. And this book, uh, Brian Doyle lives in Portland, and his novels um, tend to take place in the Northwest, and he celebrates some aspect of that every single time. His writing is just gorgeous. This one takes place on Mount Hood. Uh, There's a young man, Dave, who's 14 years old, and he's about to start high school, which is kind of scary. And then Martin is a pine martin, a little hunter of the deep woods, Mm -hmm. and he's about to leave his den, which is also scary. You have these two characters and their lives unfolding in this just absolute gorgeous area, and the mountain itself becomes a very strong character in this book. And so you you move along with the two lives, um, and you discover that the mountain harbors um, many interesting things, uh, insects, birds, animals, few humans, and then how all of those lives intersect and what happens among the families um, between the Martins and this family of Dave. And one thing that Brian Doyle, I've noticed, does is he, he threads just a little tiny bit of mysticism in his books, and it's, they're, just, they're just wonderful. This is one of the books that if you were to walk into our store, every single one of our booksellers has their name in it to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Martin Martin by uh, Brian Doyle. Yes, that great. sounds great. Great, yeah. that's that's a great list. We'll we'll have that uh, up on our website later today, upr.org. Wonderful. Uh, Sue Fleming, King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. You, you too. too. Bye. You too. Uh, we just have a couple more minutes uh, left. We'd love to to uh, have your book list. What are you reading? You can send that to us by email, upraxis at gmail.com. A quick call to us at upr uh, at one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. And uh, you can also put that up on our website as well, upr.org. Uh, I was just, um, as we were you know, talking about great uh, regional writers, I was uh, remembering that we, we lost a great writer here uh, late last year. That's uh, Kent Hariff, who, mm-hmm. who died. Uh, um, Colorado, Plain Song, Benediction, Eventide, some, some wonderful mm-hmm. books. Yes. I just wanted to remember Kent uh, Hariff. What what else is on your list? Well, you know, I forgot to put it on here, but I'll write it down for you. But, um, you know, when um, Terry Pratchett died in England, uh, what, a couple of months ago, um, I thought, well, I need to read one of his books, you know. So I picked up his uh, The Color of Magic, which was his first Discworld book. And I have to say, again, whimsy, fantasy, absolutely delightful. Wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, maybe one one last one from your list. We'll, we'll have well, all of the list up yes, on our website. Yes, I can put all of these up. Um, I'll tell you that I read partly 
one called The House of Rumor by Jake Arnott. It's an interesting book um, uh, featuring L. Ron Hubbard and uh, Ian Fleming. And, you know, it takes all, it's a novel, but it takes some real characters and intermixes them with um, fictional characters. And it's, it's an odd book that I wanted to like, but I never finished. But I think, you know, it's one of those, it was, I got it on a cheap deal from Amazon for $3 and sight unseen. And, um, you know, somebody might really like it. It's a very different kind of book. But Well, if you juxtapose L. Ron Hubbard with Ian Fleming, that's, <laughs> that, you've got me right there. So I'm going to have to check it out. Yeah. What, what's, what's the title again? Uh, the House of Rumor Okay. by Jake Arnott. Great. Well, as I said, uh, all these books will be up on our website a little later today, upr.org. You can add to that list by going there, upr.org, or by emailing us, upraxis at gmail.com. Lane, thanks for coming in. Thanks. It's always fun. Pleasure as always. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about uh, income inequality. Recently, tens of thousands of workers protested across the U.S. demanding a $15 per hour national minimum wage. Many workers say even working full-time or more, they can't provide for their families. So we're going to examine this issue. Uh, Some say that put the focus on the workers, saying they need to get additional education. They could move up the ladder if they did. Uh, Others say our economic system unduly advantages the wealthy, looking for ways to reduce the income gap. That's our topic. We'd love to know what you think. Join us tomorrow for Access Utah. Thanks for listening today. Welcome to Wild About Utah, a Utah Public Radio production featuring contributors who share a love of nature, preservation, and education. I love the Four Seasons. Having spent my 72 years residing in the mid-latitudes, I've learned to celebrate each of our seasons, but especially spring. This is a rebirth flush with abundant water, new greenery, and air filled with birdsong and sweet aromas as new flowers perfume the air, hoping to lure in a pollinator. With April upon us and our 42-degree latitude, spring is in full swing. Here in northern Utah, winter departs grudgingly, slapping us with snow squalls intermingled with glorious early summer days, a wild roller coaster ride which I truly enjoy. I'm an avid phonology follower. Phonology is a study of how life adapts to seasonal changes. I revel in the first floral bloom, the first neotropical birds returning from Latin America with a heart full of song, and newly emerged gaudy butterflies. With the relatively stable climate until recently, the timing of these events has evolved to near perfection. Let's take a closer look at some of these phenomena. I'll begin with our neotropical birds, such as lazuli buntings, yellow warblers, and western tanagers, to mention a few. These species spend over half their year in Mexico, Central and South America, flying thousands of miles for the breeding and nesting season. This may seem a bit extreme for these tiny flurries of life. On closer inspection, you will find they have good reason for this daunting and dangerous task. The tropics have relatively stable climate without the dramatic seasonal changes that we experience. This results in relatively stable populations of flowers and insects, the primary food sources for most bird species. Further, the ratio of daylight to darkness is nearly constant with 12 hours of each. Our days lengthen as we journey towards summer solstice with nearly 16 hours of daylight. This allows a burst of energy to flow through ecosystems resulting in eruptive populations of insects and floral bloom. It also offers long hours of daylight for parents to gather food for their young, which grow rapidly towards fledglings. 
thus reducing the possibility of predation and also preparing them for the arduous flight south as fall approaches. Let's examine flowers and insects. With our very warm winter and spring, I was expecting a much earlier arrival of both and was not disappointed. I counted 17 species of flowers by the second week of April, and butterflies were on a similar schedule with nine different species during the last week of March, remarkably early. Although delighted, it occurred to me that returning birds may not be so pleased. If the flowers begin to fade and insects begin their downward slide at the peak of birds rearing their young, trouble is afoot. A five-year Audubon study revealed that one-third of our birds are predicted to be severely impacted by these rapid climate shifts. On a more positive note, spring will continue as will birdsong, vernal waterfalls, eruptions of flowers, and butterflies, and spring repeats itself as we move to higher elevations. As cornices on our mountain ridges recede, up pops flowers for yet another spring bloom, and with them, butterflies, bees, and birds. This has been Jack Green from Bridgerland Audubon, and have a wonderful spring. Wild About Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. For transcripts and archived audio of Wild About Utah, go online to upr.org and click on the Wild About Utah link. Support for Wild About Utah on UPR is made possible in part by our listeners and the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance. For more than 30 years, working to preserve the wilderness at the heart of the Colorado Plateau. More about protecting Utah's wilderness heritage at suwa.org. Take a minute and think back to your very first job. I had a job as a weigher on the line. That was a job that you sort of had to earn because you controlled the speed of the line by turning off and turning on the slicer. I'm Kai Rizdal, our series First Jobs. This one was a bacon factory, by the way. It's next time on Marketplace from APM. Monday night at 7 on Utah Public Radio. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan.